now. Detonate the reality bomb! I will build a great, great wall. Some alien race to come down and threaten us. Is the singularity near? The truth is out there. The military-industrial conflict. The seven mountains of the influencers of culture. To be as gods, you know. Change has come to America. Catapult of propaganda. From a secure location on top of the ridge, in the heart of the beautiful Missouri Ozarks, this is a view from the bunker. Now, here's Derek Gilbert. If you ask for directions somewhere and they tell you, uh, it's at the corner of Five and Kundalini. You might be at Burning Man. Welcome to A View from the Bunker. I'm Derek Gilbert. Our guest has uh, bravely ventured forth into that uh, world and is uh, here to report back on it and also to talk about his forthcoming project. He is the author of the forthcoming book, Game of Gods, The Temple of Man and the Age of Reenchantment. We welcome back to the bunker, Carl Tykrib. Carl, welcome. Hey, it's good to be with you. Yeah, thanks for making the trek down here to the Ozarks. Oh, it's nice. It was good to be able to step outside uh, when I arrived and see green grass, of course, being from Manitoba right yeah, now. Yeah. We're just snow. Where you guys just got hit with uh, Winter Storm Quinn. Yeah, we got nailed. How much snow? Uh, right where we are, uh, I, it'd be hard to guess, maybe eight, 10 inches. It wasn't much. Other areas got really clobbered. Wasn't much. Here in the Ozarks, we've had uh, one snowfall of six inches or more since we moved here. And that was on the day that we moved here <laughs> in 2015. So it's all relative. It really is. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we were talking last night about, uh, you know, somebody, or, or the server at the restaurant we went last night was talking about how she'd love to go to Canada because she has got this idyllic vision of a cabin in the woods somewhere in isolation. We're like, look out the window. You're sitting right on Table Rock Lake. There are cabins in the woods on top of that ridge over there. I know. And I know. It's, it's, without eight to 10 inches of snow. With green grass. Yes. So uh, again, it's all relative. It's always greener on the other side, even when it's buried beneath uh, two feet of snow. Two feet of snow. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, you're here in the Ozarks because we're doing a series of programs on um, transhumanism for a forthcoming book from Defender Publishing that we're not allowed to disclose just at this point. You're a contributing author to that book, as am I. Uh, Tom Horn, the lead uh, publisher, as well as the lead author, but also sort of the face of a growing movement, apparently in the eyes of transhumanists, uh, opposing their movement. Uh, this is something you've been tracking for a while. Um, right. So let's let's go here. How does Burning Man and transhumanism intersect? Well, you know, it intersects in a couple of different ways. One, in a very broad way, in that it's the exhibition of a particular worldview. Mm -hmm. And in that respect, both transhumanism and Burning Man demonstrate this worldview of oneness, that there's this coming together, there's there's this merger of everything becoming one. It's a celebratory aspect, at least in terms of things like festivals. Whereas transhumanism is the celebration of technology in uh, allowing us to become more than human, allowing us to to develop ourselves into something beyond mm-hmm. uh, the normal, and so this this concept of oneness really really it's at the heart of so many things, including the political side, the cultural side, which is the Burning Man element, the uh, technology. Uh, the list just goes on because what what essentially it does, Derek, is. We're taking a look at at the idea that man, nature, and God all share the same essence. They all have the same core. And and that's really fundamentally what we see happening with the beginning of of Genesis chapter 3. Through specialized knowledge, you can become as God, you will never die. And that has played itself out all the way through. Ultimately, what that says is man, nature, and God are all essentially the same. Hmm. So every every aspect that, that we can look at will, will somehow fall into that very, very broad umbrella of what that looks like. Burning Man does, transhumanism does, the cult of world order, and I have a chapter in my book entitled The Cult of World Order, where politics becomes its own form of quasi-religion, mm-hmm. that it can save the world. Transhumanism, you know, we can save the world through our science and our technology, Burning Man and cultural festivals, transformational festivals. It's all about celebrating the fact that we're already experiencing this. We're, we're fundamentally taking, taking part in this as a model, a temporary uh, autonomous zone, a, a, a lineal, a, a liminal uh, kind of a setting between the world we're leaving behind 
and the world we want to achieve. Mm-hmm. And liminal meaning uh, the, the, the boundary zone between right. this world and the next. Right, yeah. right. And that becomes that model. It becomes that space. Uh-huh. It's a container for change. And so it's literally like a, at least Burning Man, like a great big sandbox for spiritual and social transformation. Hmm. Doesn't mean that everybody who goes engages at, at, at that level. Um, there, are, there are people who go just for the party. Uh, just, you know, or, or the sexual adventure, not, not exactly the deep thinkers. They're the ones who are, Woo! yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or the sexual adventurism. Right, I mean, right. cause there's like, you know, lots of sexual adventure that, that takes place there. Uh, then, then you have those who are going, who are the, the heads of your tech companies, uh, your social engineers, your, your visionaries, your futurists. They see it as something different. They see this as a place of networking, a place to experience um, community mm-hmm. and consciousness for social and spiritual change. Hmm. This, uh, the idea of Burning Man, and we, we talked about this on Sci Friday uh, mm-hmm. last week, and obviously in 23 minutes, once you subtract out all your time for <laughs> obligations, there, there, you can only unpack so much. Uh, here we've got a little more time. Um, you, you made an interesting point that I had not realized, and uh, in fact, I put the graphic up on the screen during Sci Friday just to show people. Um, what you refer to, which is that, that Google back in 1997, when it started its practice of the Google Doodles, those mm. little comics or cartoons that uh, uh, they make with the name Google to relate to certain, you know, special days or events or whatever. Right. Uh, the very first one was was a doodle of the Burning Man. Right. What, what does that signify? Uh, it was basically Google saying to the world, especially the tech world, we're burners. We're closing shop. And that's literally what happened. We're closing shop. We're going to the burn because they were and mm-hmm. are, they remain burners. Hmm. So what, what does that mean? I mean, what, what is the significance of the, uh, the influence of a tech company like Google participating oh. and promoting Burning Man? Well, and transformational festivals in general, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well first of all, it's, it's a place for networking. It mm-hmm. really has become a place for networking. So the yuppies so, have kicked out the hippies. Yeah, really. And in many respects, <laughs> yes, yes. In fact, that's, that's often what I hear. Uh, friends have asked, so did you see a lot of hippies? Well, no, I didn't. I don't even think I saw one. Mm-hmm. You know, And I crisscrossed the place multiple, multiple times over the course of that week. Sure, maybe I ran into some somewhere, but you know, it was not really noticeable. What I did run into uh, were a lot of... Very high-end type CEOs, especially around Camp Mystic, which is one of the main theme camps, hmm. uh, uh, engaging in workshops on uh, social development, uh, uh, connecting into to new areas of financing for, for some of the upcoming entrepreneurs, um, and connecting in with spirituality and technology. Spirituality and technology. Yes. In fact, we had some really interesting now, talks around those, some of those concepts. Yeah. And isn't it ironic that uh, we keep hearing as Christians that science and uh, religion don't mix? Oh, the technology don't. and religion don't mix. And yet here yeah. you've got a whole festival that's built around that very concept. Well, yes. We're, we're, you definitely see elements of that. There's no mm-hmm. question. In fact, for 2018, the theme for the year will be iRobot. So it, it's bringing in the, <laughs> the technological uh, and that. You know, that becomes a theme that all the artwork is yeah, built around. Yeah. And yeah. And the irony, of course, is that Asimov was an atheist. I know, I know. And, and well, <laughs> I know. And you know, yet at the same time, Derek, so many of these people going would probably claim yeah. either to be atheists or or what they would normally claim is spiritual. Spiritual, but not religious. And uh-huh, of course, yeah. that's the yeah. that's a thing. Uh, Burning Man can be likened to a religion without revelation or a religion of non-religion, which is what the Esalon Institute kind of was very promoting in the 1960s. This is really an extension in so many ways of the Esalon worldview. Um, Esalon is an... You have a I've, I, no, I've heard of it. it just, no, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking, uh, yeah. you know, brain, brain working while you're talking. Yes. It, it strikes me that this is like the, what a postmodern religion would look like. Yes, it is. There I is, there, there is no absolute, there are no absolutes. Right. But of course that in itself is a claim of absolutism. I mean, it, was that absolutely true? Well, well, either it is yes, which, you know, says that that statement is incorrect or no, which again, disproves the state. It's a self-refuting belief system. Exactly. Exactly. It, it's interesting because postmodernism ends up becoming a vacuum of meaning. That's part of the argument I make in my book, uh-huh. that, that we are actually past postmodernism. Are we still within a postmodern framework? Is that still there? Absolutely. Uh, we, the, the, the evidence of that is staggering. But we're actually, in a way, 
transgressing that. We're going beyond that. Mm -hmm. We're entering an age of re-enchantment where we're looking for some sense of mystery, some sense of the mystical, some connecting point, some, uh, a feeling of uh, an experience of oneness, something that we can gravitate to some purpose Mm -hmm. and some meaning. And so festivals like this help to flesh that out for the, for the people who are looking for that. So it's not just simply, I'm going to go do my own thing. Uh, you have that. I mean, that, that's still there. But you also are looking to find some purpose, looking for some meaning, looking for those connecting points, looking for something that's going to change your life. Hmm. Hence the descriptor transformational right. festival. Right. This seems to indicate that atheists, the neo-atheists like Richard Dawkins, are just way out in left field with their vision that as we move beyond the uh, superstition of Islam and Christianity and Judaism and so forth, that we will emerge into this Star Trek like age of reason where, you know, all of those things have been put away as part of our collective childhood. And now we're adults and we don't need these superstitions to give us comfort and meaning because we're finding meaning in, you know, like Spock in just logic and reason. We're not going there. We're We're going back in another direction. We're going back to paganism. Absolutely. In fact, I would argue that the secular hypothesis has already shown its age. It's, it's already passed. Um, Hmm. That's part of the modernity era where we said that, that pure materialism, pure secularism, that's the way forward. Hard rationality. Um, Those elements are still there. Absolutely. But, but we, we've, We've surpassed that. Now we're looking for some form of meaning, some form of myth. What's interesting is some of these conversations were taking place already in the 1960s, recognize, and the 1970s, recognizing that we need some kind of unifying framework. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally for the world, what will that be? What will be the unifying framework? What will our new myth be? Hmm. Because culture demands some type of symbolic uh, kind of a, a whatever, a, something you can hang a symbolic framework on that needs some kind of purpose. What would it be? A new, well, n- n- not necessarily a new myth or maybe myth in the sense of a new holy book. Right, right. But what would be this new guiding principle or mm-hmm. this new purpose, Right. this new symbol? The Apollo space program provided that. Um, if you take a, and, and actually read what Neil Armstrong and others talk about when they went to space mm-hmm. and they turned around and they looked back on the, at the earth, they realized that instead of the really the, the real breakthrough wasn't going to the moon, it was being able to turn around and look back at the earth and going, that's our home. Hmm. That's our place. This, everything became internalized. Mm-hmm. In fact, Neil Armstrong was so moved by that. He created the, the Noetics Institute, which is oh, it was Edgar Mitchell. Uh, pardon me, Edgar Mitchell. Thank you. Thank you. I had reverse. Sorry. Thank you. Um, where it became this sense of trying to find this myth, this purpose, this meaning within a really a new age context. Mm-hmm. And, and at that point, we had the environmental movement already kind of shaping itself. All of a sudden, the image of all of this was the earth, our mother. It was a return back to Gaia, a return back to the ancient worldviews. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and all this kind of plays into it. It fits part and parcel. One, one of the odd th- aspects of the, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, which Dan Brown, not coincidentally, featured in his big uh, right. follow-up to the Da Vinci Code, uh, The Lost Symbol. Right, which made it really, uh, you know, it could put a lot of spotlight on them. It, it sure did. Yeah. Was that the co-founder with Edgar Mitchell is a fellow named Paul N. Temple, mm-hmm. who's a guy who founded the National Prayer Breakfast, at which the President of the United States speaks every year. Yes, I know. There's... Uh, there's a lot of influence that oozes out right. of that. Of right. That and Christians get all upset when, oh, you know, there, there's a rumor going around that President Obama is going to do away with the National Prayer Breakfast. Well, mm-hmm. you know, that given the, its its origins, that might not necessarily be a bad thing. <laughs> um, although, you know, we can, right. co- as Christians, Christians, we can co-opt their stuff just like they can co-opt our stuff. Anyway. Right, right. Uh, but yes, that, that it is that intriguing that, that, that Mitchell, because we, we, Josh and I did a lot of research, especially Josh, on right. the, uh, yes. uh, because of the uh, WikiLeaks uh, email that were released, um, or the emails released by WikiLeaks from John Podesta, and many of them, uh, a number of them came from Edgar Mitchell, mm-hmm, trying mm-hmm. to establish contact through Podesta with President Obama to try to tell him about these uh, uh, extraterrestrials from the contiguous universe who wanted to make contact with us and share all of this free stuff as long as we right. promise to be good and not warlike and whatever. Right, um, right. Uh, it, it, you know, for a man of science, as Dr. Dr. Mitchell was, he's passed on now, um, Boy, this this really is an odd 
there are just so many threads that tie together. What the Noetic Institute of Noetic Sciences tries to do is mm-hmm. use scientific methods to examine the supernatural realm, right? In a sense, right. but and, but that's essentially what uh, you know Helena Blavatsky and uh, Alistair Crowley. That's how they described their religions, right? Scientific approach to the paranormal, right? Right, exactly. Yes, it really, really, all of it flows out of the works of our hands. We're, we're marrying a worldview, a spiritual worldview. With technique, uh, what is ritual but simply a spiritual technique? Right, right, right. a science yeah. of a science of spirituality. Right, right. Uh, you know where where your ritual, your theater, because it's a spiritual theater, looks to try to enact uh, some cause upon the universe. Ritual itself is technique, performing a spell. Right, right. So all of this it, it plays into it in terms of wow. the worldview. Wow. Mm-hmm. In terms of worldview, and actually. Uh, the aspect of ritual is really important for last year's burn. Last year's burn was was themed mm-hmm. radical ritual, and so the entire event was, in many respects, it was it was ritualized. I mean, it was talked about. It was it was enacted. We had an opening ritual. The man when mm-hmm. uh, the, the man pavilion opened up the, for, for the for the first time last year. The man had his own temple built around him called the Temple of the Golden Spike, referring to the surveyor spike that they pound into the ground right where the man will stand. And from there, they survey out the city. And it's colored gold, Mm -hmm. hence the Temple of the Golden Spike. Uh Um, But when we got there, my friend Bob and myself on on Sunday night, uh, we watched the final set of them performing a a ritual in that that particular temple with people coming down, wrapped in these crimson red roses, falling down off the man. And later on, I asked one one of the people that was standing around, actually it was one of the rangers, uh, what does all this mean? And, and the, 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 she had a hard time putting it all together. She just like, ah, some kind of a ritual thing, almost like a bloodletting kind of thing. And that was kind of weird, you know? And, and then later on, I've, I've, I dug around a little bit and yeah, it kind of was viewed as a form of bizarre bloodletting. This is our way of, of opening up the event for, for that year. Hmm. But, but ritual was a major part of it. I mean, it's a theme, and so that's what's played into the artwork and played into the theme camps, and you, you try to mash and mix all that into you know th- that grouping. So this coming year, 2018, or this year right now, uh, iRobot is their theme, and mm-hmm. it's going to take that transhumanist kind of that go down that road. So we'll, we'll take the uh, the ritual that we have developed to this point, right, and we'll move it into the the era of technology and technocracy right right um we you've got a couple of the uh what i guess what are these called program books from well, you, they're called the where what when guides they're hard to get really hard to get so yeah. this is this is last year's uh 2017 radical ritual mm-hmm. and uh for people who, who know don't know much at all about burning man it's not a singular event it's really an umbrella for hundreds and hundreds of events so every day you could choose from or choose not to go to any one of dozens and dozens of events, more for, there for than morning. anyone could possibly do. Oh, I'd, uh, I would have had to clone myself a hundred times to cover the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, we had seventy thousand people. Right, it, it was huge, uh, and and you've got to really kind of work through. Okay, what's theater? What's mockery? What's just acting? What's really serious? Mm-hmm. And it took me a few days to kind of figure out. All right, where are the tech people going? Where are the social engineers and the visionaries? Where are they all going? And that's the direction I went then for the rest of the week. Well, talk about that. Where were those movers and shakers going? The people- uh, Camp Mystic was the big one. Uh, there was, every day there was a, a, an incredible array of workshops that uh, would take place at Camp Mystic. Everything from human potential, entrepreneurial development, networking for your business, networking for your company, uh, spirituality, the role of psychedelics, uh, the, because psychedelics is a big part of this, mm-hmm. especially uh, the Silicon Valley. Not so much Silicon Valley. Well, yes, but but the tech sector of San Francisco has actually moved out of Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's it's more in San Francisco proper. Um, microdosing is a big deal. So, microdosing, microdosing, doing LSD on a, on a micro, ah, micro level. Okay, okay. Or ayahuasca. You don't microdose ay- ayahuasca, but that kind of concept. You're microdosing uh, a psychedelic substance to open up portals for creativity. Portals to something. Yeah, absolutely. Portals to something. Yeah. So here's another example. I, I attended a number of the Planking Norte lectures, which actually I knew quite a bit about before I arrived. So for me, that was like, 
I need her to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what were the, what were those words again? Palenque Norte. What what is that? Okay, it, it's a reference to a series of lectures that took place in Mexico, and then from Mexico moved into the Burning Man community. Uh, the Palenque Norte lecture series now takes place at Camp Soft Landing at Burning Man, and really it's an exploration of psychedelics, social engineering, okay, visionary uh, visionary activities. So. I mean, here you go. I'll just let you take a look. Yeah, I, I thought you said planking. And I, <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, just no, no, uh, no. not quite it. Okay, members of the Metaverse Scholars Club, Creative Catastrophes, Physician Heal Thyself, Grover Norquist. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's a burner. Yep. Steve, okay, now I've got to go back and radical breath work. Okay. Second breakfast, you know, yoga. I guess that makes sense. Yes. Um, psychedelic sex work. Okay. Trumpism knocks us back with oh, science fiction author Cory Doctorow. Okay. Uh, how to make it in psychedelic futurism. Mm-hmm. Cyber acoustic guitar. Uh-huh. Was a f- cyber, uh, psychedelic futurism, was that Daniel Pinchback? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Daniel Pinchback. Why is his name familiar? It should be. 2012. He he did quite a bit. Of, he did quite a bit of writing on 2012. Um, he's his his background actually. Come his 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 mom was very involved with with the the Beat Society, the Beatnik, the, the Beat movement of the 1960s, early 1960s. Uh, Daniel Pinchback, it's kind of a bit of a of a mover and shaker in terms of of kind of social change. I, I think I've seen his work referenced and probably in some of your writing actually, but. Mm. Uh, Drug Policy and Electric Frontier, Electronic Frontier. Um, naloxone, tra- or naloxone, 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 mm-hmm. training? What, what is that uh, substance? That I do not know. Uh, probably best not to experiment for the first time <laughs> in that kind of a setting. Psychedelics and the Future of Medicine with Dr. Naughty Lee. Naughty Lee. Naughty Lee? Well, still. Uh, it, 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 this... this Looks like the tools for navigating altered states, yeah, uh, like the research that was being done by um, oh the fellow who wrote the uh, the spirit molecule. Oh uh, yes, DMT, the spirit molecule. Yes, Doctor Rick, uh, Rick Strassman, right, 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 who I'm, right. whom I've interviewed uh, yes. in, in the past. Um, this is very much that. Okay. This fits hand in hand with that. again how to navigate into the spirit realm and how to use. Well, again, scientifically, how to approach this scientifically Absolutely. in order to create systems for doing this on a, on a repeated basis, on demand, on command. Right, right. When I spent some time at the Shaman Dome uh, at Burning Man, I, I went to one of the lectures on psychedelics. Um, I'm trying to think of the, of the full title, but it was something to the effect of psychedelics, uh, uh, psychology, and uh, kind of social engineering along those lines. And they describe this as uh, plant spirits. You're tapping the wisdom of the plant spirits. <laughs> well, and, and there is, there's a spiritual element to this, you know, however, that there is definitely this experience where you are tapping into an intelligence yeah. beyond yourself. And now some would say, no, this is just your inner intelligence, blah, blah. No, no, no. You know, Rick Strassman did a very good job in his book, DMT, The Spirit Molecule, breaking this down. And, and mm-hmm. he is, he's not a Christian. No, he's know. not. He's not a Christian at all. In fact, uh, he spent quite a bit of time with, with, in Buddhist circles, and I believe he, he holds a Buddhist worldview. He was, yeah, he was raised, interestingly, his follow-up book um, was uh, what he called The Spirit of Prophecy, if I remember correctly, where he had come to believe that the uh, effects of DMT on the pineal gland and opening up one's perception of the spirit realm was the process by which Yahweh granted visions to the Hebrew prophets. Hmm. And so he was advocating for more experimentation to replicate what the Hebrew prophets experienced. Of course, the key difference here is that God initiated the contact with the prophets, not the other way around. The prophets exactly. didn't, you know, rub a, jam, rub a lamp. <laughs> they didn't take, you know, a few buttons of peyote or, or whatever it is you do. I'm showing my, you know, lack of understanding of that, that, that world. But what you, they, they weren't dosing themselves in order to then suddenly see into the spirit realm. God no. was bringing them there. 
And it, it, it's a completely reversed. So right. anyway, yeah, yeah he, he was fact, raised Orthodox Jewish, and and, right. and then yes, was was a Buddhist. But he found that his experimentation, and this is why I don't think he holds a Buddhist worldview anymore, because he expected his experiments to show this oneist. Uh, for it to validate is the right. one is Eastern view that we were right. all just you know, drops in the ocean that Nirvana is the total loss of self. He said that the, ex, the uh, volunteers and the experiments didn't experience that right. they did encounter other entities when they were in that realm, right? Who were at best ambivalent and at worst violently hostile to the presence of these humans, these human interlopers into their world. Yes. So uh, he said, well, okay, let me rethink this. So maybe the Buddhist worldview doesn't explain, ah, okay, the Hebrew prophets. Now we need to figure out how we can replicate the experiments that the Hebrew <laughs> prophets did 3,500 years ago. Like, it's interesting. I'm glad you bring that because Abraham in, in the book of Genesis is visited by God and two angels. Yes. They literally came to him. They in revealed themselves right. to him. Mm-hmm. And other prophets, as we're going through, I mean, you, you were talking about your study of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah yes. brought into the throne room of God, the right. divine council. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Ezekiel had the same experience, that wheel within a wheel, not a UFO. <laughs> that was the throne of God. Uh, same thing. Uh, that right. was, in fact, uh, as Dr. Michael Heiser explains, that that is the true test of a prophet in the Old Testament sense. Yes, um, accuracy, key, but the key point, according to Jeremiah, is has he stood in the council of God? Right, right. And uh, the answer to the prophets of the Old Testament is yes. The uh, people taking DMT, no, not so much. Right, right. You're playing with a different spiritual realm. Exactly, yes, exactly. Yes, The importance of bringing all that around to, to the Burning Man culture is right. it is part of it. It is a yeah. part of that culture. It's a place where that kind of experimentation is allowed to take place. Now, Saying that, they, they do recognize that sometimes you have some bad trips. Mm-hmm. So when I arrived at the Burning Man... <laughs> well, that's why we need more experimentation to exactly. find out how to avoid those. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. So when I arrived at the, at, the, at the gate, and by the way, it was a four and a half hour wait in, in the desert. I mean, as we were pulsed into the event. Wow. Uh, it was, I mean, you got 70,000 people right, coming right. in. Uh, so they hand, handed out this card to us, uh, besides the Where, What, When guide, our Zendo locations. And Zendo centers are places, if you're having a psychedelic meltdown, if things are going bad, this is a safe place to go, a place where the, you will have uh-huh. counselors and people to help kind of guide you and be with you as you're going through your bad trip. Not exorcists, sadly. Yeah. And on the other side, <laughs> on the other side of the brochure is your uh, Bureau of Erotic Discourse. Uh, which oh, goes into safety tips regarding sexual consent. BED, bed, huh? Okay. Yes, including yeah. what happens if you experience a sexual assault or a rape, where you should go and, and how to report and, and deal with that. Yeah. Uh, and what was that one event that I, I that caught my eye? I mean, not because I was looking for it, but I was just stunned to see it. And there was a slut garden or whatever. It was a- oh, yes. That was in one of the where, what, when guides. Yes, uh, there's... Everything under the sun to be experimented and played with. This this is like, and you've you've heard Sharon and me on the PID radio and on Sci Friday talk about the uh, Netflix series Altered Carbon, which again don't watch with your children in the room. And in fact, if you're disturbed by extreme violence and uh, frontal nudity, uh, don't don't watch it yourself. But it is a uh, a very, I think, graphic and and plausible depiction of where the transhumanist movement will lead. If you can never die. Imagine a world of Caligulas and Hitlers and Pol Pots and Stalins who could never die. What do you do? Right. The right. ultimate depression. It, it becomes hell on earth. So anyway, yeah, it, it was almost like this. You know, we are so bored because we've lived forever. We've seen everything, done everything. What can we do that would be new? And this is a place where you play with new things. Yeah. All the time. And to, to be fair to the people who are going, uh, most of the people going are just simply there to experience the party, to experience right, right, the right. sensation, the, the, you know. I had some really good conversations with people saying after, especially after came after I came back from Camp Mystic, listening to you know some pretty big CEOs and people talking about how we can create our own secret country. We through networking with uh, within the Burning Man community, blockchain technology, adopting it into blockchain, bringing this out even further, letting it soak and into the pores of the culture. And I came back, and and the guy he was camp right beside me. He's actually a a PhD holder. He was. uh, Again, not the hippies, mm-hmm. you know? He was like, well, so where were you today, Carl? I said, hey, I was at Camp Mystic, and, and this is, you know, these are the things we're, we're talking about today. And he, he said, hold on. I said, remember. And I didn't know the guy before the burn. I mean, he's camped beside me. He's really, really, really a friendly fellow. And he said, don't, don't forget. He said, that's just one side of this. Most people who are coming here don't even think about it like that. 
But you know that that really also epitomizes just how society works in general. Sure, right, it really right, does. Right. Most of us are just oblivious to to the the worldview and the spirituality that's in play all the time. The change agents who are working around us. Absolutely. So all this is is just simply a mirror of what's already happening. Mm-hmm. This isn't. This shouldn't be shocking, especially in an age where we have stripped out the Christian purpose and the Christian meaning, where modernity itself no longer fits the bill, where it's not pure materialism or secularism. Postmodernism has left us with a void. Ultimately, Mm -hmm. it will, and it has. So now we have to go find some new experience, find some new myth, find some new meaning. In the 60s and 70s, that was the earth, a return now to this more primal sense, the archaic worldview. And this is just simply an extension of that, Hmm. bringing it all together. How do Christians respond? That's really now the question. Because to respond to this is really, in a sense, a model for how we respond to the world around us. Yeah. Well, let's get into that here in the last uh, segment here, because uh, I know we, we're on a schedule here today at uh, Skywatch TV, and we've got Tom Horn coming back from the airport with another guest, and so we'll have to get in front of other cameras here in, a, in a just a bit. Um, that That's the key question. I mean, why does this matter? Why do these transformational oh. festivals matter? Uh, well, and and what, what is our response as Christians? Right. First of all, it matters because this is a reflection of, ready of, of what your family, your friends, your neighbors believe. That itself means it's important. Uh, it's also important because it is transforming culture and society. Uh, that's another key part of it. Now, how do we respond? That's really the biggest question of all. Mm-hmm. First of all, we don't respond with placards and bullhorns. Uh, we do have to respond with a certain amount of respect, with uh, empathy, a certain amount of generosity in that in that regard. Because if it wasn't for Christ, I'm in the same boat. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly. Yeah. You know, I have to be honest about that. The approach my friend Bob Worley and I took was we set up a a sign at our camp called Camp of the Unknown God, mm-hmm. which comes out of Acts, right. Paul's response at Mars Hill. Ah, uh, yes. I know who this unknown God is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Because here is a place with temples. We have the temple built around the man. Just a little ways further into the desert, we have this am- amazing 100 foot, 150 foot wide by roughly 100 foot high other temple. Mm-hmm. We've got different temples located all throughout the event. We've got shrines all over. I talked to some of the shrine builders. We, we, there was so much spirituality. And so here's a place that really in many respects is America's Mars Hill. Yeah. I can see that you burners are very religious. Yes, exactly. Or very spiritual. Very spiritual. Yeah. And so that was the approach because Paul was interacting in a world that was completely built around a pagan worldview. Mm-hmm. And reenchantment ultimately becomes nothing but a pagan worldview. That's what re-enchantment really is. A return Uh, to paganism. Mm -hmm. A return to some type of myth or meaning that gives us direction. And because we've rejected Christianity, we've rejected secularism, really Mm -hmm. we have. Where do we go? We go backwards. We go back to the archaic. We go back to the myth. Mm. And we reintegrate that into today's culture. Burning Man was just an example of that. Mm -hmm. And so we opened up this conversation. Uh, we didn't go, you know, banging around to the tents and, and campers around and say, hey, you know, we're Christians. Uh, we just set this sign up and allowed people to come up to us and say, or ask, who is this unknown God? What are you guys about? And it opened up some great conversations, really good conversations. Hmm. We had some conversations away from the camp too. Um, and next year, if we can score the tickets, it's a pretty crazy thing just to score the tickets. We, we'd like to spend probably more time around the temple uh, because there's there's so much grief. It's a, it's a, such an amazing outpouring of of grief and pain. Uh, there's joy there too, but this is a place where people just pour their hearts out. Mm. And um, yeah, we probably like a lot to spend, of seekers. Yeah, yeah, we probably like to spend more time there. But you know, honestly, Derek, this really opened up conversations, a lot of good conversations. And people said after some of our conversations were done. Can we come back? Mm-hmm. And we're like, yeah. And they would return. We'd give them water and Gatorade and we made them noodles and whatever else. And that sign opened up that conversation. We just figured if that worked for Paul, it works for us. Yeah. I mean, Paul leveraged their worldview. He even quoted their philosophers and poets. Right. So right. Paul wasn't. Debated them, in fact. Exactly. The Epicureans. Paul, Paul yeah. was not ignorant of their worldview. He knew it very well. Right, right. I think really that's a cue for us as Christians. Part of why we do this kind of research, 
part of why we do this kind of study, so that you're not ignorant. Yeah. So that when you all of a sudden enter into that conversation with somebody, you already have something to draw off. Yeah. Of. Yeah. It's like Paul said, we are not unaware of our enemy's devices. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So that was the approach we took, and we'd like to repeat that. Yeah. Well, Josh and I may have an opportunity here. We're going to try to work it out, but there's a long-running UFO festival about an hour south of here, mm. which is coming up in just a few weeks. Okay. And so we may try to use that model yeah. uh, to go down there with our book and right. some of our other things here, because <laughs> Tom Horn at Defender Publishing have put out a number of books that deal with cosmology and how the whole extra, the idea that extraterrestrials are real, first of all, and that they created some had some role to play in creating or developing mankind. Uh, secondly, uh, yeah, we, so we got a number of things we could take down there as uh, lures to draw people in, but a similar similar model. Yes, yes, and, and that's something that I think the Christian community sometimes has a hard time wrestling with. Yeah, we, we're still we still think the models that we used in the seventies and sixties and fifties are the models that we use today. And and while the message is the same, yes, the truth remains the same. Sometimes the models are different. Uh, the example, good luck doing a great big, huge tent crusade mm-hmm. the way that the old revivals were. Yeah. At that time, the culture would, had still enough of a Christian ethos within our culture right. that that worked. There still was that connecting point. Well, and besides that, you didn't have the distraction of uh, the internet connected you know, to your, in your hand all the time. Exactly. College football is seeing a decline in attendance every week because kids don't want to go, especially if it's, you know, chance of rain. Right. My phone might get wet and I can't take selfies with me and get damaged my phone. Seriously. Seriously. So it's the same sort of mindset. I don't, I can't be off my phone for three hours to hear some preacher talking about stuff. Right. Right. And so now we have a culture that is really interested in spiritual things, not Mm -hmm. Christianity. Right. Spirituality. Interested in UFOs, interested in science and technology as a, as an entry point to a new model for being. We have all kinds of interests in the paranormal. All of these topics are just they, they've exploded, and you guys have leveraged that. I've leveraged that in, to some to some degree as well, and and we we have to look at leveraging this in such a way that we are presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and helping them to understand the world around them. Yeah, without going into the, the, you know, without um, solidifying their belief system. Instead, mm. we want to bring what, what Paul did, uh, use their worldview, use even the language of their worldview, because Paul did that. Yeah, yeah. And just through that vehicle, find a way to bring forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. Carl Tykrib is the author of the forthcoming book, Game of Gods, the Temple of Man in the Age of Reenchantment. Carl, when will that book be out, do you think? Hopefully in three to four months. All right. Well, when it's out, we'll uh, have you back to talk about that again, because this Wonderful. is going to be a well-researched book. If you followed Carl's writing at all, you know that that's true. Uh, so, all right. We're going to go back into another studio and record some more stuff. So, um, Carl, thanks again. Appreciate hey, Derek, it. Derek, thank you so much. So just keep watch here, because as soon as Carl's book, Game of Gods, is out, we'll have him back to talk about it in more detail. Looking forward to reading it in full when I have time to read something that's not related to research for my own book projects, that's not excuse. That's not an excuse. That's the truth. Really. All I have time to read these days relates to, um, veneration of the dead in the ancient near East and, uh, Ezekiel 38, 39 type stuff. So anyway, um, but at some point the schedule will clear up God willing, and I'll have an opportunity to read uh, Carl's book because again, his research has been very, very valuable, valuable in helping to understand the, uh, the goal of the technocrats, what they hope to achieve, and how that um, agenda fits into end times Bible prophecy. Because really, that's what it's all about. It's taking us back to Babel. A couple of news items to talk about. Um, not really a surprise. Sadly, this should be more of a surprise than it is. A uh, consular aide for France arrested in East Jerusalem by Shin Bet, which is the uh, Israeli intelligence services, um, the the security agency in uh, Israel on suspicion of smuggling arms on behalf of Hamas. Nice. The French want to broker peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians while their diplomatic personnel are running guns for the terrorist arm of the Palestinians. 24-year-old Roman Frank French citizen who's a driver for the consulate, along with nine other suspects, including six Palestinians from Gaza, all suspected of running guns 
from the Gaza Strip to operatives for Hamas in the West Bank. Um, the uh, situation in Syria gets dicier as the Turkish army has taken the city of Afrin. This is in the Kurdish enclave in northern Syria. The Kurds essentially abandoned the city over the weekend. The Kurdish, or rather the Turkish army, along with the Free Syrian Army, that is the um, anti-Assad Syrian rebels, backed by Turkey, raised their flags over the city center in uh, Afrin on Sunday, this past Sunday, March 18th. 200,000 Kurds out of the million inhabitants of the town fled the city, basically. The Kurdish YPG militia pulled out before the Turks came in, they say, to avoid a humanitarian crisis, so the city didn't have to be destroyed in house-to-house fighting. This is part of Recep Tayyip Erdogan's campaign of expansion, his plan for expanding Turkey, uh, part of his neo-Ottoman aspirations. This is what I talked with Dr. Timothy Furnish about last Sunday. The Turks took Afrin, and now uh, on Monday of this week, March 17th, or rather March 19th, um, Erdogan very plainly said his next goal, the next goal for the Turkish military, is the town of Manbij in northern Syria, which is defended by the Kurdish YPG militia. The Kurds now backed by the United States, and there are U.S. troops alongside the Kurds in Manbij. In fact, the... uh, U.S. military commander on the ground there, who's uh, Marine Corps General, uh, Lieutenant General Kenneth McKenzie, uh, ordered Marine reinforcements transferred to Manbij and other U.S. units based in Iraq to cross the border into Syria to other Kurdish positions east of the Euphrates River along the Turkish border, because that's where Turkey wants to go next. So uh, we could see a confrontation in which you've got NATO allies staring across um, lines at one another, ready to shoot. So things, again, in Turkey, in Syria, rather, getting a little dicey. Now, it was reported by the Washington Post last week that back in December, President Trump, during a phone call with Saudi's King, uh, Saudi Arabia's King Salman, asked King Salman for about $4 billion, the purpose of the money to pay for reconstruction and stabilization projects in Syria. Now, the New York Times pointed out this is somewhat ironic since the uh, Saudis are like the the arsonists and the firefighters in Syria because the Saudis, well, along with U.S. intelligence, New York Times didn't mention that part, responsible for the rise of ISIS in Syria in the first place. The Defense Intelligence Agency pointed that out in a memo in August 2012, a memo that was uh, made public after it was released, released under a Freedom of Information Act request to... Um, Judicial Watch, warning that if we kept arming the rebels in Syria, we being the United States, if we kept arming the rebels in Syria, we would create an independent Islamic state in eastern Syria and western Iraq. And, of course, that's exactly what happened. Now, it's mostly crushed now, not completely gone. Still some life left in those fighters, but uh, most of their territory has been retaken. Anyway, the Kurds now own much of that. They would like to hang on to it, especially in in Deir ez-Zor, which is in eastern Syria along the Euphrates, because there's a lot of oil there. And you might remember a couple of weeks ago, stories, yeah, a story that kind of came and went about dozens, possibly hundreds of Russian, Russian civilians, not civilians, citizens, contractors, mercenaries, dying as they tried to cross the river at Deir Ez-Zor, as uh, the U.S. responded with a massive attack on ground and air, artillery and air assault, to drive back the uh, the Russians and the Syrians who wanted to move into the oil fields east of Deir Ezzor. Anyway, it's a, a nasty situation. Hopefully, President Trump's overture to King Salman was essentially the president saying, look, we want the $4 billion because occupying Syria is really costly and we don't have a true objective, foreign policy objective in Syria. So you are cordially invited to take over the occupation. Let's hope. Let's hope that what's that's what this is all about and that it happens soon before we wind up in the middle of a war between Turkey, Russia, Iran, Syria, rebels and and us and again 
God only knows truly why we're there. I'm not sure that the, uh, the elites who've pushed us into that situation really still know why we're there. Um, the uh, head of CENTCOM, by the way, admitted in testimony before Congress last week, this is the, uh, uh, the week of the 11th, that uh, Syria, Bashar al-Assad, has essentially won the civil war. He's come out on top. Thanks to Russia's help and Iran's help, Syria has essentially put down the uprising that we and the Saudis and other Saudi allies in the uh, Gulf stirred up during the Obama administration. Um, so, yeah, uh, Army General Joseph Votel essentially telling the United States Senate that um, Assad has won. It's no longer in our, uh, it's not no longer one of our objectives to change the regime there. Um, I say good, and like I said, I hope that part of that uh, realization then is that we should just get our soldiers out of there because we're not serving any useful purpose there. President Obama said, we'll never put boots on the ground in Syria. Well, we have boots on the ground in Syria. We still have a lot of boots on the ground in Iraq. Um, Many, many boots on the ground in Afghanistan. And as uh, conservative commentator George Will noted about a week and a half ago, we're now past 6,000 days, 6,000 days in Afghanistan and still no clear objective there. Uh, here on the home front, President Trump has hired, this is an interesting hire. He's added Joe DiGenova to his legal team, which is headed up by Jay Sekulow. Uh, he's a U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia. He gave an, he's given a few interviews here in recent weeks, uh, one in particular to Fox News in which he said, quote, there was a brazen plot to illegally exonerate Hillary Clinton illegal use of a private email server to handle, you know, uh, uh, classified documents while she was Secretary of State. Uh, A brazen plot to illegally exonerate Hillary Clinton, and if she didn't win the election, then to frame Donald Trump with a falsely created crime. In other words, collusion with Russia. Now, the New York Times reported on this a couple of days ago, and of course they're classifying this as conspiracy theory. They, uh, commented on his accusation, little evidence has emerged to support that theory. Well, only if you're not looking for it. Only if you're not looking for it. If you actually read the 99-page opinion handed down by the FISA court last April, and if you look at what the House Intelligence Committee, the Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee anyway, put out in their memo um yeah there there were uh there is evidence to suggest that a plot was taking place i mean communications between members of the fbi and staff of fbi staffers uh, department of justice staffers um pretty clearly indicate they were trying real hard not to indict hillary clinton because Frankly, they were afraid of what would happen if she won the presidency, which they expected her to do. And um, suddenly you're the one who recommended indicting the president-elect of the United States. Hillary Clinton is a very long memory, and um, she's, she's scary. We, we, as a country, we dodged a bullet with Hillary Clinton. Anyway, DiGenova, very well-spoken, um, has a firm grasp on the facts, in my opinion, And so uh, as more information comes out, and especially as the Department of Justice Inspector General's report comes out, things are going to get really, really interesting for people who enjoy watching the political show in Washington, D.C. Just remember, as Christians, that's not where our salvation lies. So let's not get too caught up in how things are going for the guys that we like. But still, it's good entertainment as long as you only view it as entertainment. Um, The inspector general, by the way, um, is the one who recommended the firing of Andrew McCabe, the former deputy director of the FBI, the guy who was fired 26 hours before he qualified for his full pension. By the way, McCabe is fine. Whole lot of Democrats in Congress offered him jobs for a couple of days so that he could get his time in as a government employee and get his full pension. So he's not hurting. Um, But, most of the liberal media and McCabe in particular have framed this as Donald Trump trying to 
discredit his credibility and, and discredit the investigation of uh, special counsel Robert Mueller into collusion between Russia and uh, the Trump campaign. Remember, again, the inspector general, Michael Horowitz, was appointed by Barack Obama, not Donald Trump. So when the media tries to spin this as the Trump White House trying to tarnish the reputation of the Federal Bureau of Investigations and former Deputy Director Andrew McCabe in particular, remember, the guy who recommended that he be fired was an Obama appointee. Okay, Um, and speaking of which, this is a story that came and went in a real hurry. Um, About a week and a half ago, former director of national intelligence, James Clapper. Was out in public kind of defending himself because it appears, according to reports from Sarah Carter, who is a journalist who's been doing some really great work the last couple of years. uh, Sarah Carter reported that it was probably DNI Clapper who was leaking intelligence reports to CNN during the Trump transition. And it was those intelligence reports that led to the media waking up and saying, oh, there's this dossier that accuses the president of really disgusting stuff in Moscow. Might give the Russians leverage over the president. We can't vet this stuff. But since the president was briefed on it, we can report that the president was briefed on this thing. And then if we just happen to describe what's in there... We're not saying we believe it. We're just reporting that it's been reported. That's how what that's what passes for journalism these days. That's the dossier that BuzzFeed published, the one about Trump accusing Trump of disgusting behavior with, with prostitutes in Moscow. Uh, untrue, fabricated, but because they work it around this way. We didn't report on the dossier. We reported that these other guys reported on the briefing of the president but of course cnn wouldn't have known about it if james clapper the director of national intelligence the outgoing director of national intelligence hadn't leaked the existence of the dossier to cnn and of course then he went on cnn about a week and a half ago and prevaricated about his role in that Uh, gun marches this weekend around the country Not a surprise. Just remember when the media is telling you that these are remarkable young teens who've been organizing all these marches, just ask who printed all of the um, the PDF, downloadable PDF um, media kits for these kids with sample talking points for speeches and media interviews. Sample Facebook posts, sample Instagram posts. There's a, there's a PR campaign organized behind the curtain. Don't look behind the curtain. Pay no attention to the grown-ups pulling strings from behind the curtain. Some good news to report. 76 people arrested in a multi-state child exploitation sting operation. This was mostly in the southeastern United States. 200 law enforcement agencies collaborated on this in Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Maryland, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, and West Virginia. People all across the United States, about half of the people arrested from Georgia, 13 children identified and or rescued in the operation. Three other states, um, Iowa, Mississippi, Missouri, and Tennessee, took leads from this task force and are now pursuing them in their jurisdictions. Um This is called Operation Southern Impact 2, began four months ago. Again, 76 arrests in this multi-state operation. Some of the people involved in this, um, postal worker, mechanic, magician, construction worker, truck driver, restaurant worker, an online tutor, a foster parent, a church daycare administrator, and a church youth director. Many arrested, charged with possession of child pornography, a distribution thereof. Some charged with traveling with the intent to have sex with a minor. So, thank God for the uh, law enforcement officials and professionals working in a very dark area to uh, root out some of this uh, corruption. And another note, uh, Sharon spotted this story a few days ago. 32-year-old woman in Oregon arrested charged she uh, pled guilty in february to 11 counts of first degree criminal mistreatment and a count of third degree assault essentially this woman was running an an illegal daycare in her home 
and she was dosing the kids heavily with melatonin to put them to sleep so she could go out to tan and uh, CrossFit. Twenty-one years in prison. Good. Uh, New California has declared independence. That is a state, a potential state within a state, mainly the rural areas of California that want to break away from the coastal urban areas from San Diego up to San Francisco. Actually, does not include San Diego. Rather, Los Angeles up to San Francisco, including the state capital of Sacramento. Um, If New California can uh, break away, it will be interesting to see how it flourishes compared to the uh, urban areas of California. As um, we've reported on Skywatch TV, the state of California now ranks ranks last in the United States in terms of poverty. In other words, a higher percentage of people in California below the poverty line than anywhere else in the country. And that shouldn't be because California is the sixth largest economy on the planet. California's economy is bigger than most of the countries in the world. And yet, because of their progressive politics, they have more people in poverty than anywhere else in America. So, kind of a long shot, but um, let's hope that New California can make a go of it. And, um, well, we could continue on, but there's a, there's a lot in news. Uh, we, we address a lot of this stuff on Sci Friday at Skywatch TV on a daily basis. Sharon and I talk about this on PID Radio, radio every weekend. So uh, rather than me just commenting alone, because frankly, the conversation's a lot better when she's there to <laughs> correct me and keep me focused. Um, I'll direct you to PIDradio.com where uh, we have been uh, back. PID Radio began in March of, 20, of 2005, one of the oldest podcasts still Produced on the interwebs. Yeah, we got into the uh, iTunes podcast store back when Apple was still actively looking for people to submit podcasts. Now it's you got to go through a process, but uh, back then they were they were almost begging for people to submit podcasts. So um, more of the fools they. We got in early and uh, we've kind of been grandparented in. So uh, PIDradio.com still around after what? 13 years. In fact, we just passed our 13th anniversary at PID Radio. So anyway, check that out. Also check out the Gilbert House Fellowship, which is our weekly Bible study. We upload that um, one-hour study every Sunday, usually about midday. Although this weekend, no study because I am pre-recording this ahead of the Hear the Watchman conference. We will be in Dallas uh, this Sunday. Uh, As you're listening to this, we are probably traveling back from Dallas or nearly getting ready to do that. And uh, so no time to do the, uh, the uh, Bible study this week. But it'll be back this coming Sunday. And uh, you'll find all the archives going back to Genesis 1-1 at uh, gilberthouse.org. That's gilberthouse.org. And by the way, we've got our own mobile app for the Gilbert House Fellowship. Uh, you'll find links to the uh, app stores for uh, Google Play and for the uh, iTunes, the iOS app store, so that you can download all of those uh, Bible studies at your convenience. And you'll find that at gilberthouse.org as well. Um, This fall, another conference that you won't want to miss, this is the True Legends Conference, Transhumanism and the Hybrid Age. Sharon is one of the featured speakers there this year, along with Tom Horn, Steve Quayle, Timothy Alberino, and Dr. Hugo DeGaris, whom I've interviewed here on A View from the Bunker a couple of times now. And um, as one of the leading experts in artificial intelligence research, it is really going to be interesting to hear from Dr. DeGaris to see hear what he thinks about the impact of uh, transhumanism and its uh, potential future consequences. Of course, as the author of The Artelect War, in which he predicts potentially billions of deaths as a result of the conflict over whether or not humanity should try to evolve to humanity 2.0 through science. Kind of have an idea about where he's going with this. But anyway, for information and registration, log on to gen6.com. That's G-E-N-S-I-X.com. And don't wait because, as I understand it, we're more than a third sold out, approaching half sold out already. 
And there's still six months to go before the conference. So uh, my new book with uh, Josh Peck, The Earth, Day the Earth Stands Still, now available in Kindle format. So you can get it uh, at uh, Amazon.com if you prefer to read it on your Kindle or other e-reader device. Otherwise, you can still get the hard copy with a great deal that uh, has been offered by Skywatch TV. You'll find it linked at the website officialdisclosure.com. That's officialdisclosure.com along with the, uh, the introduction. The introduction to the book, which explains why we wrote it. Um, $39.99, you basically get $300 worth of stuff, including some video interviews that have never been broadcast or shown anywhere before. With people like Chuck Missler, Mike Heiser, um, Paul McGuire, Gary Stearman, um, multiple-time adductee Joyce Ahrens, and uh, Daryl Sims, the alien hunter. Fascinating stuff. And only available through the Skywatch TV store. Uh, you'll either find it there, skywatchtvstore.com, or follow the link from officialdisclosure.com. So, a view from the bunker. Available as a fine, one of the many fine podcasts at the iTunes store, Stitcher, Spreaker.com, or wherever else fine podcasts are sold. I've really butchered the uh, <laughs> the boilerplate closing this week, haven't I? Uh, give us a like at Facebook. Our Facebook page is, uh, of course, facebook.com slash view from the bunker. And it's a production of Gilbert House and released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international license. The opening theme is by Kevin McLeod. His website is incompetech.com. Our announcer is DC Good. Please remember, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I'm Derek Gilbert, and this is A View from the Bunker. <laughs>